Hey everyone, it's Pastor Eddie from River of Life. Just want to say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Now let's get ready to hear a word from the Lord today. What does God want to speak to our hearts today? So come on, open your Bibles, open your hearts, and let's get into the Word. Chapter 6. Starting at verse 10. Let's just read all of it, and then we'll go back and pick it up. He says, finally, my brother, notice he says, finally, uh, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, if you like to write in your Bibles, which I do, you ought to see the book of Ephesians. It looks like a five-year-old got a hold of it. I mean, I have so many, I love to write. It is not a sin to write in your Bibles, okay? You can do that. God is not disappointed. You can do that. So you can underline some of these things. Be, uh, be strong in the power of his might. How many know that your might is not strong enough to fight spiritual battles? Getting right into this tonight. Your might and your willpower is not strong enough to break sin's power. Your willpower, no matter how much of a strong-willed person you may be, and I'm the king of strong-willed person, just ask my mom. I'm the second born. How many middle ch- children do we have in here tonight? Amen. Middle child. Yes, pray for all the parents right now in Jesus' name. Um, I was a very strong-willed child, always has been. When I got older, I learned that my stubbornness, my strong-willedness still wasn't strong enough to break the power of addiction and some of the habits I had in my life. Because he says, be strong in the power of his might. You have to have him to have his might. Let me say it like this. You have to have his spirit to have his might. You have to have his spirit to have his strength. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit. You see why you need the Holy Spirit? Be strong in his might. Put on, everybody say, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Now listen, this is a key verse. We do not fight against your neighbor, your flesh and blood, your family. You don't fight against them, but you fight, we fight against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against their spiritual uh, hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realm. Heaven, heavenly realm is a, is a theme that Paul has been writing about all through Ephesians, right? That's one of his go-to phrases, is heavenly places. It's important that we know that. When we fight our spiritual battles, we are fighting from a place of victory. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from a place of victory. I'll get into that more. So, therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. How many think he wants us to stand? Having girded your waist and with truth. Girded your waist with truth. That's the belt of truth. Okay. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's number two. And having your uh, feet with the prep, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always. We talked about this Sunday. He don't end the armor of God with that verse. He goes on to verse 18. There's a semicolon there. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit being watchful to this end and with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So we got to learn how to fight. Tell your neighbor you got to learn how to fight. You may think, many think because you become a Christian, you don't have to learn how to fight. On the contrary, I was raised in e-course. We learned how to fight. You got to learn how to fight. I got in my first fight at six years old. 
with the Trevino brothers down the street. Yes, two of them. And I was hanging with them until my shoe fell off. When my shoe fell off, I started to cry. <laughs> and uh, it was all over. I knocked Beto's glasses off. It was a thing we got into. And, you know, kids would start off being friends and then start fighting. That was us every day. And especially if the girls were around. Melissa and Angie. If they were around, we're going to fight. Because that's just what we did. That's how I grew up. So anyway, we started this fight. And I remember little chimpies jumped in. So I had both of them. I was hanging with them. We were neighborhood kids. We played together like the next day. But I remember hanging with both of them, and I was finding my shoe fell off, and I, I just lost it, and they started getting me, and I ran home, and I had one of them big cries. <laughs> you know, one of them. And my dad said, what happened, Eddie? And I told him. He said, there was two of them? I said, yeah. You ought to be proud of yourself, son. You hung in there. And my dad and my uncles, and they all taught me how to fight. And once we got saved, I remember my dad said, okay. I said, Dad, what about all them, you know, lessons on fighting? He goes, well, son. And I told Tyler, I'm going to teach my grandson this. You don't start a fight, but you better finish a fight. Come on, somebody. <laughs> that's, that's right. Amen. You can defend yourself. Jesus taught that. That is scriptural. I can show you that in the Bible. Anyway, and so you got to learn how to fight. Growing up, whether you grew up in e-course or wherever, uh, you should learn how to fight somehow, something. Uh, that could be optional depending on where you live. But I'm going to tell you this. It is mandatory if you are a believer and a follower of Christ that you learn how to fight spiritual battles. You have to learn how to fight. And it ain't with your fists. It's not with weapons. This scripture tells us that it's another whole ball, new ball game. Entirely different uh, ball game. Now I noticed a couple of words here before I get into it. He starts off by saying, finally. Notice it took him six chapters to get to this topic. That's why we've been studying the book of Ephesians. It was one letter written by the Apostle Paul while he, he was in jail. No doubt he looked at the centurions, the Roman soldier, and the first century Roman soldiers had a very similar uh, armor. And so I know he was inspired by the Holy Spirit sitting in that jail cell looking at a Roman soldier and begin to hear insight and revelation about how it is with us as Christians. And he began to go through all six, seven pieces of artillery, and they are spirit, parallel with spiritual truths that he unpacks for us as believers. But finally, he got, he got here with it. He noticed in verse 12, he says, we don't fight against flesh and blood. What do we fight against? There is a spiritual realm that is not seen to the naked eye, but it is very, very real. If you're not a believer or if you're new to the faith, you need to be aware of it. And it's, the Bible calls it the kingdom, uh, the spiritual realm. And in that spiritual realm is a kingdom of darkness. Let me tell you, like, show you like this. It is the source of all evil, uh, is who the devil is and who Satan is. And he's not a little man in a red suit with a pitchfork. He is the source of all evil. So the Bible teaches that this, this spiritual realm, this unseen realm, is nonstop. It's all around us. And when you become a Christian and you begin to go after God, you will realize the battle is there. And I never had to fight. My fights, as I told you, was flesh and blood all my life. But when you get saved and become a Christian, you will discover a whole new slew of things coming against you. How many would say amen to that? You will just discover, start bringing your family to church. You'll notice a devil shows up every Sunday morning and Wednesday about 5 o'clock. Isn't that right? It's just the way it is. I mean, just the way it is now. 
just making a humor of it. It may not be the devil. It's just how it is. But it, it does. There is something that does come against God's people. Paul writes about it a whole lot in his writings that we are fighting not against flesh and blood, but against an unseen realm. And here's the point, that there is power. Listen to this. Write this down. Never forget this. There is, there is a power behind every problem. Many problems that are in politics today, and we got a bunch of them in America, and according to the Bible, yeah, these problems are real and they are happening, but reason why, the reason why many things don't get solved is because politicians and a lot of people just address the problems. They never address the power behind the problems. There are, there are powers that are behind the issues that are inflaming the issues, influencing leaders, uh, getting people to not see the true source of the problems. Instead, we're fighting over all kinds of other things. We're picking fruit off of trees rather than trying to get to the source, which is the tree or, or the disease in the tree that's producing the rotten fruit, right? You don't just, pr- just pull the rotten fruit. There's a, there's a reason why this is happening. So the spiritual realm is that source. It is behind the things that we're fighting against in our nation and in our country. Okay, And when you really begin to lean into this, you will begin to see people a a different way. You begin to see even the people in our political government that gets us so mad sometimes. If you really focus in on the right source, you begin to see how the people in Washington are just lost people. And your compassion for their lost blindness will begin to show. But Usually we get so angry we stay in the flesh, but Paul is calling us to fight different battles, to learn how to fight differently in its spiritual warfare at its finest. So we're not fighting against the problem. We're fighting against the power behind the problem. You have a teenager or kids that are, that are battling, get into trouble or hang around the wrong people, you go ahead and tell them to quit hanging around that person. That's, don't be so spiritual where you don't do nothing practical. That is another problem the church does. This, they take a scripture like this and they get into spiritual warfare. And my son is, is hanging around those troublemakers and I'm just going to stay in my prayer closet praying fast for seven days. Okay, that's fine. But first go to your kid and say, hey, you better not hang around with them kids. Or I'm going to take my shoe off and throw, hey, you, you lay down the law. You got to do the practical as well as the spiritual. Jesus was very spiritual, but he was also very practical. What does James say? If someone is hungry, don't just pray for them. Give them something to eat. There is spiritual, should have practical application. And the church needs to learn to do both. We, we wrestle in our prayer closets. We will pray. We will intercede. But we also will stand against evil. We will also vote according to righteousness. We will also lift up our voice and make a stand for righteousness and for God's true righteousness. And the church said. So you got to do both there. So, But we still fight against the principalities and the powers. This is so, man, you can just stay here all day and talk about this as the unseen realm and how... Uh, it influences the stuff you see on TV. I mean, uh, with the big decision of the Supreme Courts that are getting ready to vote on Roe versus Wade, and we are praying that it does overturns. We do, uh, of course, because God is pro-life. Amen? And we want that, and, and, and don't want to get into a political debate here, but to see the, uh, so much violence and unrest over this one issue, you got to see if you are spiritual, that there is something feeding that and, and, and pushing it and inflaming the issue and making it about every other thing except for innocent babies. You ever notice that? 
And, and this is spiritual warfare. This is what I mean by powers behind problems. There are, so one thing you need to do when you're in a personal crisis in your home is to pray and ask God for discernment. What am I praying? What is causing this problem, Lord? What, what is causing this? That's where spiritual discernment comes in and, and prayer like that comes on. Okay, moving forward. Verse 13, he says, put on the whole armor of God. That's the practical part. You put on the whole armor of God. God makes the armor available to us, right? He's getting ready to tell us what it is. But does he dress us? No, he does not dress us. We have to dress ourselves. And he says there, you put on the full armor of God. I say this to our men all the time, but it's for men and women. You are the only person responsible for your spiritual development. We are the only ones responsible for our own spiritual development. Here he says, put on the whole armor of God. So you put it on. You've got to do your due diligence. We've got to have those disciplines and put it on ourselves. And then he says, the whole armor. You can't just go running out with, with a shield and be naked into battle. You can't just put on a breastplate. I can go, you know what I mean? You have to put on the, he says, put on the whole armor. Every single piece here, all seven of them are necessary. That you get familiar with them and you put them on so you can be engaged in war. And then he says, the evil day. Once you show you the evil day, what is the evil day? The evil day is when the enemy comes and he will come. And the evil day is also the day when it seems like the enemy is winning. Let me just minister this to you for a moment. Maybe you're here or listening. You're in a season where it seems like the enemy is winning. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Christ, Pastor Eddie. I don't understand what's going on. It seems like the devil's winning and, and I'm not winning. I don't see my victory. Well, guess what? You're in the evil day. You're in the evil day. But I love what he says going back to the fact over and over again that we are fighting from a place of victory. Let me just tell you like this. You ever watch a movie that is very intense that you have already seen before and you rewatch it and when it gets to that one scene, you start to cringe, but you go, wait a minute, I know how the movie ends. Or a football game, okay? I watched some old Lions games and some of them I've watched where they uh, actually do a comeback and they win. There's some that they have done that too. And sometimes I'll catch myself on YouTube or something watching them and one of them I just watched was a Dallas game, and we were at Dallas, and we were way behind, and they were, they were uh, you know, I remember watching it live, and it was the most stressful game in my life to ever watch, but at the very end, we ended up doing a fourth quarter, few second comeback, and we won that game. Well, they re, I was re-watching it, and it's amazing, Kyle, because every fumble was so real, every interception was so real, but I done saw the outcome of the game. And so I knew that no matter how bad it got, I mean, I knew we were still going to turn it around. But the fumble was reality, the interceptions, the bad play calling. I mean, that's still, I had to relive that moment too. But I saw the ending before it was over. I knew how it ended. So that gave me a sense of peace. Anybody hear what I'm talking about? There is the same thing in your spiritual walk with God. Paul says, hey, I've already seen the end of this movie. I've already seen the end of your trial, the end of this season of testing, the end of this warfare and this battle that you are in. Yeah, the fight is real. The feeling is real. It feels like you're all by yourself. But Paul says, hey, we have already, I can guarantee you, we have already won the game. Amen. Give God glory for that. 
You've already won. You've already won. That's why he says three times, stand firm. Look at verse 14. Stand firm. He says it three times. Stand firm. What does he say that for? He says, don't move. Don't move. Don't quit. And this is a word for somebody. Don't quit. Don't move. Stand firm where you are because you're going to get a victory. Receive that today. Receive that today. I know it's a teaching on Ephesians, but that is a prophetic word for somebody. That the Lord has already seen the end. And I know we're stressing because we just got picked off again for the fourth time. And it's only the first quarter. But I'm telling you, the last 30 seconds of the game, Stafford's going to do him one of his things and he's going to win that game. It's the same thing that's going to happen in our spiritual life. That's what Ephesians is about. So stand, therefore, because we're going to win. If you don't quit, you win. Here's a perfect example of that scripture. Now let's get into the seven pieces of armor. There's actually more than these seven in scripture that's not listed here. I would add an eighth, which is our praise and worship. Praise and worship is a weapon. Amen? It can be included with the all prayer at the end of this, but I like to think that that's separate. Uh, But praise and worship is also a weapon. But he starts off with some here. The number one, very first thing he says is the belt of truth. Truth. Now, there's books written on the, on the armor of God, and I'm sure this isn't the only time you've ever heard it. Uh, and if you are, well, awesome. You need to know this. So this can be very exhausting. I've taught it several times, and I'm not going to go very deep into it. I would encourage you to spend time in prayer and read it, and God will give you insight and revelation how it applies to your own personal life. But just to overlook some of the very general Uh, interpretations of it is very simple. The belt of truth is absolute standards or God's view of a matter. The truth, we have a problem with truth today. (laughs) Would you agree? We have a problem with truth. Pilate asked Jesus, what is the truth? And I think that's a good question. You cannot, it's like a normal thing to just look on the TV and look at someone looking right at you on that camera and lying to your face. I mean, it is like, now we judge how bad the lying is. I mean, that's just how it, it, we know it's lying. It's just, well, it's not as bad as the last lie. We've just come, um, you know, um, we're just tolerant of it. It's, It's just, but one thing that is very absent in our culture today is absolutes. There is hardly any absolute truth that you'll get two people to agree on. And it's okay to have different tastes and styles and, and, and traditions and cultural things, absolutely. But when it comes to the truths of God's word, he is very absolute. There is only one way to heaven, right? Because there is only one remedy for sin. And, and we accept absolutes sometimes, but culturally we don't. In other words, if the doctor said, you got a fatal disease and this is the only antidote for that disease... We would say, give it to me. We wouldn't argue. But we hear different conversations and different things that we talk about truths, and everybody is more relativism is what we have in our culture today. Truth is relevant for you. It may be your truth, but it's not my truth. Well, again, that may work on certain styles or whatever, but the word of God is very, very absolute. And you as a believer, one, that's one of our weapons. And the enemy has done such a powerful and I would say successful job in deceiving people. That's what he does. He's a deceiver in deceiving people from what the actual truth is. Now we have, let me give you an answer. There, there are facts and then there are truths, okay? 
facts are facts, but truth is greater than facts. Let me understand. Say if you got a pain in your body, and so you take some, uh, say your, your head hurts, and you take some, you go to the store, go to Walgreens, and get some Tylenol PM, and you go to bed, and you wake up the next day, and you still got a headache, and, and you think that, you know, you better, better go see the doctor. You go see the doctor, and the doctor says, takes a PET scan t- thing, and you got a tumor. So what you have is you had a fact, we had a fact that our head was hurting, so we treated it according to the fact, but we didn't know the truth of the fact. You understand what I'm saying? We were treating it wrong. And a lot of times in our culture, we have facts, and people are just throwing facts at one another, but we never get to the truth of the matter. There's the power behind the problem. That's why we got to know God's view on the matter, because God's view is absolute truth on sexuality. It's absolute truth on our identity. It's absolute truth on love. It's absolute truth on right and wrong. Anybody with me today? And it's a weapon. And I would go a little further and tell you that it's one thing to have facts and to hear about the truth, but really what we need to be as believers is we have to know the truth. John 8, 31, you all know this scripture. I love this. It says, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, So this is so good. I've taught this before that if you are a believer of Christ, listen to what Jesus says to the believers. He says, if you remain in my word, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Come on, you don't know that scripture. Look, it wasn't the truth that set us free. It's knowing the truth that will set us free knowing that it was a tumor and not a headache. I thought of this. We got Juneteenth coming up this Sunday. And the Emancipation Proclamation we know was signed in January 1863 by President Abraham Lincoln, which abolished slavery. In January 1863. Many of the slaves in our country were not told about it until 1865. Think about this. So even though the truth was in 1863 of January, there were slaves still in bondage. Because why? They didn't know the truth. It wasn't until June 19th, which is Juneteenth, 1865, that slavery in our country, and that's what we celebrate Sunday, which we should celebrate it, was declared and made known to all the slaves in America, and they were then set free. But the truth was, the information was true, and it was signed and became law and became true way back in 1863. But it did not set people free until you knew the truth. The enemy loves to suppress and hide the truth from people. And there are even many believers in the church who can be around the truth. But until you know the truth, Jesus said, if you believe in me, then follow me. As you remain in me, you will know the truth. And when you know the truth, then the truth will set you free. Oh, that's good preaching. Thank you. The enemy keeps people from knowing the truth. He's a master deceiver. He does two things to the truth, and I'll show you here in Romans chapter 1. You can write it down, Romans chapter 1. Wow, what a chapter. It describes our culture like anything I've ever seen in the Bible. But he does two things. He suppresses the truth, 
and he offers a counterfeit. He suppresses the truth and wickedness. That means he will paint a picture that there's so much wickedness going on, you won't, you, you, you won't even know the truth because every channel you flip on and turn on is just like wrong. You, so you think you will never know the truth. He suppresses it by a bunch of evil. Look at, look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, if you got it ready back there, I don't have it in my notes. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who what? Who suppress the truth. They hold it down. They hold it down in unrighteousness. They hold it down. They suppress it. It's there, but you don't know about it because it's being held down. It's not on none of the main channels. It's like no one's talking about truth. No one's singing about truth, and it makes us feel like no one else is living the truth. But that's the enemy, the power behind the problem, making you think that everybody is, is uh, living that way. And so the truth is hid. He hides it. He suppresses it. I knew the truth when I was an unbeliever, but I suppressed it in my life. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I love that verse, right? He says, in other words, you can look around and see that God's invisible qualities and eternal power are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, so that men are without excuse. I mean, I memorized that scripture when I first got saved. He says, simply look around and you can see that there's a God. So men are without excuse when they get before God and they talk, they see that this thing, I mean, five seconds after you and I breathe our last breath, you're going to see God in this whole thing. There is no purgatory. There is no holding cell that you go to. When you die, you and I die, our spirit never stops living. Your spirit is an eternal being and it will go. And the Bible says it is appointed unto every man to die once and then the judgment. So you will go. We will go instantly. And it's too late by then. But you're going to see that there is a God. Back to Romans. He says, because all they, although they knew the truth, they did not glorify him, nor were they thankful. This is, this is a powerful verse about not being thankful. Church, when we worship God, it's important for you and for me that we worship God. Whenever you do not, listen, this is not, nothing to do with tonight. Whenever we don't give God praise, it turns into pride. That promotion at work, that new car at work, you found gas for $4. Baby, you better give God praise. If you don't, I'm serious over these little things. Whatever we don't give God glory, it turns to praise or it turns to pride. I give God praise for everything. The Bible says every good, and, every good and perfect gift comes from God. I will praise God. I am that person over a parking place at Target or Target, wherever you go. I will thank God for that. So being unthankful is so bad. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Look at here. And verse 23, there it is. And they exchanged the glory of God the incorruptible God, into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them uh, up to uncleanliness and to the lust of their hearts so to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And here's the verse. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and they worshiped and served the creatures rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. You see that? He suppresses the truth, and then he offers another alternative to truth in our culture. 
The whole point of this, the very first thing in our armor of God to be a believer is you've got to accept and know the truth. We've got to know what the truth of God's word is. That is the only way that we can fight. Amen? I can't spend that much time on all of these. Hallelujah. The next one is the breastplate of righteousness. So important because the breastplate of righteousness protects our organs. It's very important. Paul looked at that and said, man, that's the second most important part of our artillery. It protects our organs, our most important part of our body, and it's righteousness. Uh, What is the righteousness is knowing right and wrong. Now, there is a positional and a, and a, a practical, a, a, a positional righteousness. We are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And then there's a practice. We are to walk it out and to carry it out by the grace given to us. There is a, uh, we are to live holy, amen, and to practice righteousness. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Whoever does not practice righteousness is unrighteous, Revelation says. And when we die, whoever practices unrighteousness will be unrighteous still. Whoever practices righteousness will be uh, righteous when you get to heaven. You get it? It's a lot of righteousness there. It simply means knowing the right and the wrong. Why? Because wrongness, listen to this, wrongness invites demonic engagement. Please understand that. Wrongness, disobedience, wrongness, it invites demonic involvement, engagement, just like sugar. I saw this the other day. We had a piece of sugar, a piece of uh, food on my patio on top of my table. And there was ants that, you've seen it, come all over. Now, my table is this high off the ground. An ant, you ever notice this? This blows my mind. I get fascinated by the craziest things. How did that little ant that can't even see on top of the table know that that sugar was there? You have to explain it to me. I don't know. I'm sure there's a scientific reason for it. But isn't it amazing to an ant that's got to be like 100 miles? It like, boop, boop, there's sugar on the table. Text all of his buddies, group chat, 5,000. Ding, 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 notifications went up. And, and they came, crawled all the way up my table, and when they found it. That's what they That's what instinctively that they do. Well, make no mistake about it. In the spirit realm, the Bible teaches that ungodliness, wrong living, wrongness attracts evil. It attracts demonic activity. What does it say in James? Where there's jealousy and envy, every, you'll have confusion and every evil work will be there. (laughs) Whoa. That's why he says earlier in this chapter, in chapter 4, give no place to the devil. Remember reading all that? Don't be lying. Remember he said don't lie, don't steal. And he's, he's given us all these practical ways to live, Christian conduct. But tucked in all of that in verse 25, he says give no place to the devil. In other words, that gives the devil a place to get in. That's why we got to know the truth. See, when you know the truth, you know, okay, that's just... That's just what culture is saying. If you don't know what the truth, you will be lied to and you'll, you'll develop your own, your own doctrine and theology. We got people today in our culture that are spiritual. The new thing is to be spiritual, but not biblical. They won't say it, but yeah, that's exactly what they are. They are spiritual, but you're not biblical. You can be spiritual all you want, baby. I love you. I'm glad that you're seeking. But if you ain't biblical, then you ain't seeking the same God. 
there's, again, that absolute, and that, that really goes against people the wrong way. So, of course, you'd have to reword it another way, but y'all are church people, so you understand what I'm saying. If I was talking to somebody who was into the crystals and the incense, you know, I'd go, oh, that smells good, you know, and I'd sit down and I'd have a conversation with them, but I'd eventually get them to that truth. But you've got to know the truth because if you don't, man, you're going to be so mixed up. That's why we've got to be in our word every day, church. You ever watch that movie by Leonardo DiCaprio? I think it's my wife's. One of her favorite movies is uh, Inception. And uh, it's about him and his team that's able to go into your dreams into like the third and fourth dream. It's freaky, man. I mean, he's like, he could get into his dream, dream, and another dream to the fourth power. And he's like doing stuff. And it's a crazy movie, man. If you like special effects, man, check it out. We do got vid angels. I don't know what kind of language it is, so you got to go watch it on vid angel. Anyway, anyway. Leonardo DiCaprio, the only way he knows if he's in reality or he's in one of his dreams is he's got this little spin top. And he takes this little spin top, and in the movie, he'll, he'll, he don't know if he's in reality or if he's in one of his dreams. So he spins this top, and as long as that little top keeps spinning, he knows he's in reality. But if it falls over, he knows he's in, he's in a, a dream world. God's truths is the spin top. The spin top lets us know if we're in reality or we're in a fast, uh, the enemy's reality. If we don't know the truth of God's word, listen to me, church, you can get lost into all kind of facts. And they can even be facts, but just because it's facts don't mean it's truth. That's Bible. That's the Bible. The truth will set us free. You can have a fact and be sick. But the truth of God's word says you, by his stripes you are healed. Amen? The facts is that you die. The truth is those that belong to Christ will never die, yet shall he live even though he may die. Truth. Truth. Amen? God's righteousness are our spinning top. Okay, I'm hurrying up. That's two. Number three, gospel feet. I always call it gospel feet. It's a weapon. He says your feet needs to be shod with the preparation of the gospel. In other words, that's a weapon for us to take the gospel into enemy territory. That's a weapon. We as Christians are not supposed to just sit in church and see who's the most spiritual. Hallelujah. I speak in tongues. Hallelujah. I can prophesy. I had four visions last night and two dreams today, and it's not even two o'clock. Come on, somebody. Oh, yeah, well, I pray in King James. I mean, we are good for that, right? In a church that is not missional will end up shooting itself and end up dying within. You ever been a part of those churches? Everyone's fighting everybody, and everyone's trying to be more spiritual. And That's because you're not reaching out to your community. That's why this church will always be missional. That's why we got flags when you drive down Sumter Road, baby. We support them all missionaries we support. That everybody know when you pull into this driveway, someone will usher you to the cafe. You are going to buy a drink, and 100% of that will go to support missions. We are missional. We are always going to be missional. Why? Because someone dies every two seconds, and they are either going to heaven or to hell. And it is our job to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into all the world and everybody that comes here, from our kids to our adults. They're going to learn how to be missional. This is a weapon. That's why. This is a weapon. It's an offensive weapon where we take the gospel. What did Jesus say? Go into all, of the, all the world and have church. Go into all the world and make disciples. 
Go into all the world and make disciples. Then the helmet of salvation. Let's keep going. Helmet of salvation. That's an important part here. Paul, the apostle, writes. This is probably the, one of the most important. They're all important. The, that represents um, the renewed mind. That represents, that's how we have protection against evil thoughts. Helmet of salvation. And I would even say that's about being confident and know that you are saved. Have you ever had the devil tell you you ain't saved? You ever had the devil say, see, this ain't real. That ain't God. He don't love you. He didn't answer that prayer. That would have happened anyway. You got to put that helmet on. See, when you got that helmet on, you're able to fight against the enemy and the thoughts. And this thing right here is where our flesh, our fallen nature, will fight more against us than even the devil. In the series on Sunday, I'm going to get to how to live more, li- more spirit for our living. I'm talking about Christian living because it's so important for us to know how to do that and to reject the flesh. Here's a couple of scriptures. We know Romans 12, 1 and 2. Everybody should know this. If not, um, it says that to renew your mind, to renew and do not be conformed. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God. This is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, that's the helmet of salvation. The very first thing that needs to happen in a believer is that our mind starts to get renewed. We get rid of the stinking thinking. We get rid of the self, selfish thinking, the, the things that we judge and compare ourselves. And it's a constant battle. How many know it's a constant? Con- I've been saved 25 years, and I still get the craziest thoughts at the craziest times of my life. I'm as spirit-filled as I can be. I read my Bible every single day. Every day. There's not a day I have not missed. That's just a personal standard I set in my life. Whether it be one scripture or chapters, I read my Bible every day. I live for God. I think about him all the time. But I still have an ungenerated part of me, a fallen part of me, a sin nature in the mind. That's why I love the next verse, Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 6. You got that one, Tyler? He's, I'm getting him going today. Okay, 2 Corinthians. I think I gave you 1 Corinthians. I knew I was going to do that. Let's see how fast you can get 2 Corinthians up. 2 Corinthians 10, I'll quote it to you. It says this, For uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds. And yeah, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according for the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty in God for pulling down of strongholds. Watch this. Watch this. Casting down arguments and every high thing, or, or that word arguments means imaginations, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing it into captivity. That means part of our spiritual battle is to put the helmet of salvation on. And what that means is we fight against the thoughts. These thoughts of doubt, these thoughts of shame, of guilt will get into us and will hinder you from living for God. You put the helmet of salvation on, and that, that means your mind is being renewed as you know the word of God. You know that you are a child of God. You know that you are born again. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. But you take those thoughts and you cast them down. You, you may have to do that a hundred times a day. When I got saved, man, I had to do it all the time. It was exhausting. I almost thought like I was going to lose my mind at one time. And I had a real personal breakthrough with the Lord and the Holy Spirit through prayer, and God showed me that I just wasn't getting in my word, and so I had nothing to fight with. 
which is the next one, the sword of the Spirit. Sword of the Spirit. Every soldier needs to get familiar with your weapon. When I was in ROTC in high school, we had M1s, bolt action. And I was going into the Marines, and so I, I loved it. I, was getting, I went through ROTC. Any ROTC people here went through ROTC? Anybody? Anybody? No one. Okay, amen. And maybe you're listening online. Um, so it's like a program in high school that gets you prepared for the military. You learn all about the rankings and all of that. Well, one of them was you got your weapon, and you got to know your weapon. And uh, you were in the military. Many of you, some of you were in the military. You know this. So the exam, part of the exam was they would turn the lights off. You had to take your weapon apart in the dark and put it back together. I mean, they said that your weapon is your baby. They say you even sleep in bed with your weapon. I mean, they, they, they just drilled this into us. So when the lights would go off, we would reach over and grab our friend's part and pull it in the dark. True story. You had to learn your weapon. Well, I'm telling you, as a follower of Christ, you and I have got to learn the Bible. You've got to learn the word. You've got to be, don't just read it, learn your word. You hear me say that all the time. Learn it, read it every day. That is your word. I am a word guy. I love the word. I love reading the word. It's amazing. The more I read it, the more I love it. You've got to read it. He says you've got to know this, the sword of the spirit. This is what Jesus used to fight against the enemy is the sword of the spirit. Learn that word. Eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. I mean, if someone cuts you, a scripture ought to fall out. You got to know that word. Read it. Read it. Whatever translation you have, read it so you understand it. If you can understand King James, more power to you, brother. That's fine. Brother Lambert used to always say, you just got to hold on and stick to it. <laughs> I said, okay, brother. He loved it. He was a King James guy. Amen. I love those guys. Those guys are more spiritual. So anyway, whatever, but the, here's the thing. Jesus said, whoever don't understand the word, the enemy comes immediately and takes it. So you have to understand the word. So if it's NIV, New Living, you get it, but you understand it so you could get a hunger for the word. Read it every day. Begin to memorize it. Begin to learn it. And you'll see how that is one of the most important weapons man, that you'll ever have. I can talk about the word all day. Previous chapter, uh, Pastor Steve taught it last week. And uh, did he do a good job or what? Teaching about the family. Amen? Amen. So uh, that was so awesome. I heard about it. So he talked about being full of the Holy Spirit and do not, do not be drunk on wine. Remember that scripture, 518? But then it flows right into the family life. I love that. And he taught that last week. Uh, but it says in that passage of scripture how the word of God cleanses our minds, cleanses us by the washing of the water of the word. See, when you read the word of God, Back to that helm of salvation, it will wash your stinking thinking out. When you read the word of God, you will align your thinking to the word. And you go, oh, that wasn't right what I saw on the news. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that entertainer. I agree with the word of God. Okay. Last thing is the, is the prayer. And I got to finish. Prayer is the last thing he mentions here in this text. All kinds of prayer. Someone said, well, you know, I don't pray. You know, my prayers are dumb. My prayers aren't very... Listen, no time spent praying is a waste of time. No time spent praying is a waste of time. Prayer is communicating with God. I did a series a couple years ago called Pray First. Remember, we got these bracelets I got made, and it said Pray First. Some still wear them today. I need to do that series again. That was a very good series. So many people... Learn so much about prayer. You pray first. Pray before you do anything. All of our ministry teams every week, they pray first. Before we start, we pray first. I mean, 
pray first. Start everything with prayer. Prayer is a weapon, and it's one of the ways that we will win their spiritual battles is through prayer. I talked about it Sunday about praying in the Spirit, um, Romans 8, 26. If you're taking notes, you can write that down and read it later, Romans 8, 26. And then again, 1 Corinthians 14, that whole chapter, he talks about praying in the Holy Spirit. I talked about it, like I said, on Sunday, how that's a powerful prayer, uh, a powerful weapon is to pray. Prayer is a weapon. And the more we get familiar with prayer and the more you see the results of prayer, the more you will want to pray. The more you will want to get into his presence. There's times I'm in his presence and I say, God, I wish everybody could feel what I'm feeling right now. Sometimes I say, God, I wish I can always feel this all the time. One time I was praying and I, I prayed all, uh, years ago. I, I noticed that I would start off praying loud. I'm closing. I would, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I come before you in Jesus' name. And I always thought, you got to be loud when you pray. You know, growing up in a Pentecostal church, you got to be fervent, effectual. It's got to be loud. And then I read that story in the Old Testament about Hannah just whispered with her lips. And Eli thought she was drunk and said, get out of here with your wine. And she goes, the Bible says she was so sad that she could not even put voice to her mouth. But she just moved her lips and she prayed to God. And guess what? God heard her. There goes that loud Pentecostal praying. God hears the heart, don't he? And I remember, I, but I would start off praying real loud, and then I would end up, by the end of my prayer, so quiet and almost like a whisper. And I said, it was like before I asked the question, I was asking in my spirit, like I just noticed it. The Holy Spirit just gave me the answer. He said, because this is when I'm the closest to you. You don't have to yell. I'm this close. That's why I, my spirit knew that. I just got quieter and quieter when I prayed. I just sensed the presence of God through prayer. And you end up loving prayer. You will end up loving prayer. Amen? You will end up just looking forward to spending time with God and in just a long time. Whether it be uh, an hour. I love what Smith Wigglesworth said. He said, I often don't pray more than 20 minutes, but I never go 20 minutes without praying. That's that prayer needs to be a continuous text thread. That you can look up one of your friends right now and you can see your, your message, what you said to him earlier, what you said yesterday, the day before. Our prayer life needs to be one long, never-ending thread to God. Let me just ask you, have you talked to him today? If you opened up that app, that text app to God, would it say Sunday? When was the last time we talked to him? We want to see victory. We got to put prayer on the list. Amen. Well, amen and amen. I pray that message was a blessing to you, that you received some sort of encouragement or word of instruction from the Lord. That's our prayer at River of Life, that every time you tune in, that God speaks directly to your heart. Well, this is Pastor Eddie again. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast and remind you that every Tuesday, a new message is uploaded. Also, if you want to watch one of our services, head over to our YouTube channel. It's River of Life Church, a church of his presence, his promises, and all people, and you can watch one of our services that way as well. So God bless you. I pray God's presence be with you uh, for the rest of the week. Amen.